Well, good morning, everybody. We're in this series called The God-Soaked Life. We've been in Colossians over the last several weeks, and I thought Justin did a great job, did he not, last week, linking up, right? That's right. Way to go, Justin. He linked up God-soaked life to God-soaked going. And the significance of if you've encountered the Jesus of Colossians 1, then there'll be a movement outward to the brokenness of the world around us with that hope that has touched your life. And so this morning, I want you to welcome to the stage Austin Sterling and Heather Craig. Can we welcome them to the stage here? Great to have you guys with us. So these two are about to go out on tour and it's really a movement from Austin's heart about how he sees music as a vehicle by which he can share what God's done in his heart with others. And the settings they're gonna be in are not quite like this setting. Um, you with me? So they're gonna move out into some places where uh, maybe there's uh, not the proclamation of the hope of Jesus that we've been singing about over and over again taking place in the environments, but they're gonna bring some things into those environments. So it's the role of the body of Christ to embrace all the gifts, and one of the things as a body we wanna embrace is the gifts of artistry. And artists have a significant role and so we wanted to, I wanna have some time of sending them out in just a moment, but I thought they, Austin could share a little bit about um, just what was on his heart as he was preparing for this tour and just as you were thinking about it and praying through it, tell us a little bit about the tour. Yeah, so um, really the tour, we, we sat in your office a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I, and um, it's kind of been a daily thing that not just this tour, but being present with God and being present with people, I'm not really great at being present with people. I'm kind of an introvert, but like um, just being connected with God, being connected with people. So as we're on the road and we're playing and meeting people or uh, being with people that we already know, um, really just trying to connect with them, meaningful conversation and kind of loving people where they're at and um, hopefully building a relationship with them because Otherwise, there's no way I'm going to be able to speak into somebody's life and mm. them take me serious. So, Amen. And this is your uh, latest CD, right? Yeah. Sawway. That's how we pronounce it, right? Yeah. You're going to do a song off of here in just a minute. But tell the congregation what was on your heart as you were writing the songs for this. The, um, I felt like God was kind of asking me to go a little bit deeper, um, connect with him a little bit more than I have in the past on um, not that uh, past songs or albums are not meaningful, but this one's just a little bit different. Um, so I opened myself up to that, and um, it's a tricky thing because uh, so if I have a song or, you know, like most artists, they'll have an idea for a song or they'll write a song, and um, I can hear all the parts in my head, and it's hard to get those out on a recording. It's not always easy to accurately get those reproduced. So I kind of, um, opened up to that and, um, God let it flow out in a very natural way, um, with that album. Mm. And it just kind of is a really good representation. So I'm really grateful for that. Cause it's not an easy thing to do. And you want to say like a couple things about this song you're going to do called Sawway. It's going to be a unique word and yeah. tell them a little bit about the song. Um, so this is, this is kind of a layered thing, but I'll, I'll do as quick as I can here. So, um, I've always tried to write a worship song. I've tried to um, 
write one that, you know, say we would sing Sunday morning as a congregation and it could be like a gift that I could give to the church and God. It just is not that easy for me. That's not how I write naturally. Everything kind of starts to take a weird turn. So um, (laughs) it's not something that is like, you know, great. Um, So I, I, I kind of gave up on trying to write like that for the time being at least. And, um, so with Sawe, the, uh, it's a Latin word. Um, it's like a Latin welcome, uh, Latin for welcome. And so there's doing two things. Um, we play it at the beginning of our sets. We don't have a lot of time to really pray before a lot of sets. So it's a lot of like set up play and then get off the stage. And, um, so a friend of mine gave me the idea to write this song, as a, essentially it's a prayer. So we play it at the first, the first song of our set. And it's kind of a good way to just center myself with God and, and be present. And it's a prayer in and of itself. Um, so it's welcoming, hopefully people that come to see us play, they feel welcome. They feel open. They feel at home. And secondly, most importantly, it's asking the Holy spirit to be present and, um, for his presence to be here. Cause we play in a lot of, you know, divey bars and, uh, you know, some kind of rough places, but you know, asking the Holy spirit to be there. And if these people are open and the Holy spirit's there, hopefully he can speak to them and use them, um, use, use us to kind of like just connect with them and build a friendship and, Amen. you know, all that good stuff. That's great. Would you share it with us? I'd love it if you share it with us. Thanks.
stay right here. Boy, I wish we had some musical talent around here, huh? Jeez. This is Austin's wife, Lily, and all three of these are going to be headed out on tour, and I just thought it's appropriate that we just pray a blessing and send them out to be a light. This is what it means to be the body of Christ together, and they're a part of our family. They've been a part of our family for years and will continue to be, and as they come to mind over these next several weeks, be lifting them up because they're going to be sharing songs like that in settings where uh, maybe folks haven't heard some of those lyrics, Austin. So thank you for using your gifts. Thanks for stewarding your life the way that you are. We love you just as you are, brother. <laughs> Amen. I think there's plenty of worship type lyrics in those songs, isn't there not? Wasn't that a worshipful moment for all of us? So thank you for stewarding it that way. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for the diversity called the body of Christ. Thank you for the ways you've woven the Sterlings family into the Eagle family so many years ago. And so we just unite our hearts now and we send Austin and Lily and Heather out. We send them out in a manner worthy of the name capital N, that they'd go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would fill them and strengthen them, that you would anoint them and protect them. May they be a beacon of light, sharing the hope of Christ wherever they go. Just as Austin said, that you'd give them the gift of the sacrament of the present moment, that they would be present to the person or persons right in front of them and present to you. And would you do immeasurably more than all they asked, hoped, dreamed, or imagined through this tour and the ripple effects that come through it? We ask you to bless them, keep them, protect them, and watch over them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, another round of applause for this crew. Thank you so much, guys. They're gonna be hanging out after the service. You probably saw it on the way in. They got a pretty cool looking product table out there and I'd love it if we just supported them that way as well, right? Pick up some CDs, maybe a t-shirt. It's a way we can get behind them and say, hey, we're with you. We're with you, brother. And they'll be out there to chit chat about whatever you'd like to talk to him about their music. He's got multiple CDs and crazy talented musician and both of them in all of their gifts. So open up your Bibles, Colossians chapter two. Thank you, brother. Colossians chapter two. We're going to be in verses 6 to 8 this morning, building off of where Justin left us off last week. Here's what Paul says, verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, I want you to underline received Christ Jesus, continue to live in him. Underline continue to live in him. Verse seven, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. What have we said the theme of the book of Colossians is? Three words, Christ is all. And Paul just keeps proclaiming it in a multiplicity of ways. And he's saying to the early church there in Colossae, he's saying, hey, just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, that's salvation. You could just write salvation in your Bible there. That's that moment in time when they became born again. And they had the Spirit of God come to live within them. They went from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. They tasted grace. They were forgiven. 
They became a child of the Most High. They received Christ Jesus as Lord. That was their entry into the starting gate of the Christian life. Do you remember when you hit the starting gate, if you've hit the starting gate? Do you remember that moment? Do you remember what it was like to like, taste grace for the first time? Do you remember what it was like when you connected the dots that as far as the east is from the west, he's taken our sin from us? Do you remember what it's like when you grasp that the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you? Do you remember what it's like when you went into the waters of baptism or you took your first communion? Do you remember that starting gate feel? I've entitled this morning, Not Settling for Starting. As wonderful as it is to start. And starting the Christian life is amazing. Are you kidding me? Look at all that transpired to get us to the starting gate. That's unbelievable. And for me, my starting gate was November 1985. A little over 32 years ago. I went to Pastor Andy Winter's apartment. Iowa-Ohio State football game. The entire state of Iowa was watching this game. And so at halftime, he turns off the TV and he opens up his Bible, and he shares what Colossians is all about, and he shares what Romans, he talks about Jesus, he talks about new life available. He invites me to give my heart to Christ, and will you receive Christ Jesus as Lord? Over a 30-minute dialogue, I ended that dialogue on my knees with my head buried in that sofa, calling out, Jesus, save me. I confess my sin to you, save me. Fill me with your spirit, my life is yours. I got up off of my knees there, hugged him, got out to my car, and drove straight to Kendra's house. Kendra and her mom, Kay, were there, where Kay's usually at the kitchen table with her Bible open most of the time when I'd walk into their house. Kay was there doing something in God's word, praying, no doubt. I learned later praying for me, because the story behind the story was, it was kind of a setup. So the setup was this, Pastor Andy had mobilized basically Everyone he knew in the state of Iowa who was going to be watching that football game, that at halftime, hey, push pause on your watching of the game and take a moment and pray specifically for this kid who didn't grow up on the church side of the tracks. Pray for Eric Simpson, that he'd come to know Jesus as his Savior at halftime of that game. Now listen, I believe in free will, but I don't think my free will had a shot that day. I think... I think I was going to be ambushed by God's love and grace that day. I had no shot. It was amazing because as the months went on, I kept running into more people who were all doing that same thing. They were praying at that halftime for me and wanted to know if something happened. So I walk into Kendra's house, and they're sitting there kind of on the edge of their seat like, hey, how was the game? The story behind the story behind the story was I didn't realize how much was at stake in that halftime because Kendra had made a deal with Pastor Andy, the youth pastor, and her mom that if I didn't bow my knee to Jesus at that halftime, she was out. Holy buckets. <laughs> if I'd have known all that was on the line, goodness sakes. Do you remember that moment for you? When you got started, when some sequence of events got you to the starting gate of this following Jesus life, everybody's got to get to the starting gate. You know, starting is really important. You can't finish if you don't start. But hear this now. What does Paul say? You can't settle on just getting to the starting gate. The second half of verse 6 says what? Continue in him. 
I put in your notes what that word means. It's the Greek word peripateo. It means this, walk it out. Stay with him. Continue in your faith. It's peripateo. It's rejoice that you got the starting gate and now run the race all the way to the end. Don't just settle for getting there. Keep at it. You say, well, what does that look like? I'm glad you asked. You get five verbs in verse seven. Just want to unpack through, right? Just describing what does it mean to stay with and continue in your faith. He gives five verbs in verse seven. The first one is rooted. Become rooted in him. Now, I'm horrible with agronomy and you know agricultural stuff and growing things. You've heard many stories from this stage about the debacles of Simpson trying to grow stuff. But here's one thing I've learned through those years. Almost all my breakdowns of all the stuff that died had to do with the roots. Things never took root. And roots take time. As the roots grow down, and then what happens next? Then built up is the next verb. So there's a rootedness in Christ, then you'll be built up in Christ. As the roots of our life go down into Jesus, do you know what springs forth from Jesus? Your life begins to spring forth from Jesus. So as you're rooted in Christ, you become built up in Christ. What does that look like? That means the more that people are around you, they see that your life is rooted in a reality that Paul has been saying through Colossians 1 and 2, Christ is all. They should see a little bit more Jesus and a little bit more you and me over the course of time. Our words, our actions, our countenance, our decisions, our priorities. It should be built up. It should be growing from that root system of Christ versus the church in Colossae and my life growing up on the non-church side of the tracks, we were not rooted in Christ. We were rooted in what verse 8 talks about, kind of the principles of this world or human traditions. Loving family, wonderful family, great circle of friends. We just didn't, we just weren't rooted in Christ. And so what was being built up out of our lives until that moment in 1985, it shifted the root system of my life. Are you with me? So the root system shifted in 1985 and then by God's grace, what has grown over these 32 years, my prayer is a little more of Jesus and a little more of me through the course of life. Paul says this is how it works. You don't just rejoice you got to the starting gate. You stay with him on this race of faith. Do you have people in your life who you know when you get around them, you just know that their lives are rooted in Christ just by spending time with them. You just know it. There's a countenance, there's a radiance, there's something about that. Do you have community in your life that kind of just sparks that? I wanna stay rooted in Christ. That's normal Christian life, Paul would say. So there's this rootedness that flows into a built up, and then what's the next verb that he talks about? Strengthened, right? There's a strengthening that happens. This has to do with kind of this, what we would call the inner strength. I want you to think of it like scaffolding. If you see those construction workers who build up large scaffoldings alongside buildings, I want you to think of the scaffolding of Christ-like character that gets built on the interior of our lives. I want you to think of the beams of Christ's life getting strengthened inside of you. That is, there's layers of scaffolding that get built up as we stay with Jesus in this race of faith. So that from year to year, there should be increasing amounts of strength to do what? to say yes to the right things, to say no to the right things. There should be an inner strength to stay firm in our convictions, to not be swayed by all the things around us. 
There should be a, a, a kind of a strengthening to be who Christ has called us to be and created us to be. That we don't have to chameleon it into every setting that we're in. They don't have to try to become somebody we're not to please whatever we're trying to please. That you're just able to have this quiet interior strength that says, I live for an audience of one. Christ is all. Christ is my life. I live for his approval. And I, wanna, I want my life to honor him. And there's an inner strength that comes through that. Do you see that? So this rootedness flows into a built up, which manifests in a strengthening. So kind of like your MyFitnessPal app is, to track your physical strength, Colossians 2 is that. It's like our Colossians 2 app to track our soul strength, our inner strength, to use this as the mirror and say, hey, are you peripateo? Are you continuing in where you've started? Are you staying with him in the race of faith? Are you walking it out? That's that strengthening, and one of the markers of it would be a little more internal strength in 2018 than you had in 2017. That's a good marker for it. So markers so far are rooted, built up, strengthened. What's the fourth one he says? Taught. So there's this picture of taught. Here's what, here's what he's getting at with taught. This is about the mind renewal part. See, when you come to Jesus, you're given this capacity then to go on a journey through the Holy Spirit of renewing your mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is a great passage for that. Right, So there's this renewing of your mind that's possible once you're rooted in Christ, become built up in him, being strengthened in him. There's this renewing of the mind journey. Dallas Willard says it this way. A good marker for maturity in the Christian life, hear this now, is this. The thoughts that no longer occur to you. The thoughts that no longer occur to you. This is, an ask, this is an outflow of the renewing of the mind. You see, when you first come to Jesus, your mind is so freshly redeemed in that, you're going to battle through kind of old self, old ways, old life, old thought patterns. So you're going to have a ton of thoughts just kind of colliding with now this renewing of the Holy Spirit in your mind. And we, we never graduate from that. There's always going to be collisions. But here's what, here's what Willard's getting at and what Paul's getting at. When you stay with Jesus... There are some thoughts you should have back in the early days that you simply no longer have. That's when you know your mind. That's a marker for maturity. Like, I haven't had that thought in years. I used to be buried in that thought. Do you see this? So this is that renewing of the mind. This is the strengthening work of the Holy Spirit where you're taught. Because what does he say in verse 8? Look what's at stake here. Look at verse 8 again. See that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and on the basic principles of this world. Now listen, let me play Pastor Obvious for a minute. Paul wrote this in around 60 AD, around 30 or so years after the resurrection of Christ. 2,000 years removed from his words there, I don't think we've got less deceptive philosophies. I don't think we've got less kind of principles of this world pulling at us and bombarding us. I don't think we've got less human traditions trying to muddy up the waters on who Jesus is and what this life's all about. I don't think it's gotten much better. I think Paul, if he wrote that in 60-some AD, what would he say in 2018? Hey, be careful. Be careful. Make sure your mind's being renewed. Why? Because there's a lot at stake here. There's things that can take you captive, you get swept up in. 
And you just start thinking wrong about who God is, which, by the way, is a pathway for misunderstanding who you are because we're made in his image. He's not made in ours. So we've got to have a right understanding of who God is so we have a right understanding of who we are. And we can just get swept away in this. So remember, Justin brought up last week, Gnosticism was what they were struggling with. We, we might not have the specific word of Gnosticism, but today we've got agnosticism and materialism running rampant. And, and we might not have, you know, things like Sadducees and Pharisees in our vocabulary today. No, we changed the vocabulary. We have like religion departments and religion professors with multiple letters behind multiple names with all kinds of flowing robes, espouting all kinds of spiritual knowledge. And books and books upon that. And we might not have the Roman Empire in our vocabulary, but we've got the altar of safety, security, and convenience that we bow down to. So we're, we've got no less dynamics to say, we're caught, Paul throws up the yellow flashing caution light, hey, be careful. Make sure you're thinking about what are you allowing your mind to be immersed in. In this information savvy, information overloaded world. Can you imagine Paul today having just pen and paper that he'd have to distribute through the feet of a courier? Just that itself. Can you imagine what he might say today? If, if syncretism was running wild back then for him, could you imagine if he looked at all the abilities we have to interconnect and share information today? Do you think it might move from a yellow light to a red light on the caution? Like, hey, be careful. There's all kinds of things that can take you captive. Make sure you're grounded in Christ. Make sure you're rooted and you're built up and you're strengthened and you're taught well to think right about who Christ is, about who you are, about how this life works. Gang, this is why church is so important. It's so important because when we get together, do you know what happens to us with our, just our minds when we get together? Through songs like we heard today, and sang today through scripture that's read and taught, what happens is we move out from this hour plus together and our minds are just a little more renewed. Under what? Under who God is and who we are and how this world works. I'm guessing that most often your Sunday lunch conversations might be, at least hopefully, some of the most spiritually centered of the dialogue of your week. Why? Because we've had time together as a body where the Spirit's been at work and our roots have grown down a little bit more and we're built up a little bit stronger and our minds have been renewed just a bit more and it flows out of our life. That's why this is so important. And parents, that's why we've got to keep our kids engaged in children's ministry and student ministry for the long haul when they're excited about it and when they're not. Why? Because there's so much at stake. There's so much on the line. There's more deceptive philosophies than ever to pull us away. So we want our kids to graduate from Eagle Church and move off into college and not get swept away over some deceptive and hollow philosophy that Paul says. We want them to stand firm in Christ. We want them to grow like that tree of Psalm 1, planted by a stream of water. They can do that. We believe in them. By the power of the Spirit and a community that gathers around them as we're helping become rooted and built up and strengthened and make sure their minds are renewed appropriately so when they move out, they can stand. They don't have to cave. Why can't we begin to see the tradition where we get a parade of college students coming back and saying, this is the most spiritually reviving and renewing season of my life. Why can't it be that? It doesn't have to be I hit college and the 
thing came off the rails and the wheels, you know, everything just unraveled. Doesn't have to be that way. But gang, if we're not really attentive and on it week to week now, when we get there, it's not like a rescue mission we just enter into there. Sometimes the thing gets so far down the track, there's so much work to be done. It starts now. It starts here. It starts with prioritizing the right things now. So that's why, like, during the week, why are we saying it's so important to connect, whether it's in a discipleship class on Wednesday nights, a life group. We've got student life groups. We've got adult life groups. Why is that so important? Because when you're together, do you know that your mind is renewed a little bit more in Christ? When you're together in those settings, it's so important. You get in the word, you pray, you get encouraged, you get some instruction, you're reminded you're not alone, and you walk out of those settings. That's what it's about. So whether it's classes, groups, Sunday morning gatherings, this is why I'm always standing up here saying we've got to be a people of the God-breathed book. You have to have an immersion plan to be immersed, Genesis to Revelation. Students, it starts early for you. What's your plan, students, for be immersed in this? I know Ian and Brad and others and Julia, they keep this before you. Stay in God's word. It doesn't matter what your plan is, but it matters that we all have a plan. How are you going to stay in this? Stay in this God-breathed book. Why is it so important? Because there's so many other things that will distract us and pull us away and get us off track. And we'll start making crazy conclusions about who God is and about who we are and about how life works. How does it start? It starts up here. So there's this teaching and renewing of the mind. Are you tracking with me? So there's this rooted, built up, strengthened, taught, and then what's the last word he uses? Overflowing, overflowing. I, I miss Thomas Watson's quote here. Follow this here. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, he said it this way. The first fruit of love is the musing of the mind upon God. He who is in love, his thoughts are ever upon the object. He who loves God is ravished and transported with the contemplation of God. When I am awake, I am still with thee, David said in Psalm 139. God is the treasure, and where the treasure is, there is the heart. By this, we may test our love to God. What are our thoughts most upon? It's another little gauge, like Willard said, what are the thoughts that no longer occur to you? Another way to probe that whole thing when you're not forced to think about something, what are you thinking about? So when you actually have a moment in your life to allow your thoughts to drift, where do they drift to? Do you know one of the greatest freedoms we have as human beings is the freedom to fix our thoughts on whatever we wanna fix them upon? That's an unbelievable freedom. Did you track with that? That's one of the greatest freedoms we have. And that's why it's so important with our younger generations to be helping them shape what? You have the freedom to choose what you're going to fix your thought upon. And what Thomas Watson just said was, if you've been captured by Christ, if the Colossians 1 Jesus has taken a hold of your life, if you've got into the starting gate with him, then here's what the manifestation of it. You're going to stay with him, and your thought life is going to be shaped by that. Because this is the principle, what you behold affects who you become. This is why our thoughts are so critical. What you behold affects who you become. So Paul's gonna go after this for the next couple chapters. Are you beholding, are you setting your mind on the glory and majesty of who Jesus is? Because that's gonna have a great deal effect on the kind of person you become. So we're rooted, built up, strengthened, taught, and now overflowing. Do you see that overflowing with what? With thankfulness. 
with thankfulness. It's like the Psalm 23 life, right? There's this life available to us. The shepherd life of Psalm 23, where it says you can have a cup that overflows. My cup overflows, the psalmist says. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's this overflowing life that just spills out of you when you realize that you've been rooted in Christ and you're being built up in Christ and strengthened in Christ and taught by Christ and mind renewed in Christ, what happens is there's an overflowing of gratitude that it's all grace upon grace. We didn't do anything to deserve this or earn it. It's just an overflow of grace. Listen to how Willard put it. I put this in your notes. I think worship team, this is a great definition, by the way, for worship. Astonished reverence is a good paraphrase for worship. An admiration to the point of wonder and delight. That is the true outcome of renovation of the thought life. Astonished reverence. That that would be normal Christian life. That we'd walk through life, not perfect, plenty of areas to still learn and grow in. No one's gonna be perfect in this. We're all gonna fall on our face and make mistakes. But what's gonna be the general trajectory? You get to the starting gate and you rejoice that you started because you can't finish if you don't start. You get to that starting gate and you give thanks that you're in that starting gate and then you peri pateo, you stay with him. You walk it out. You continue in your faith. And what does that look like? You're rooted. You're built up. You're strengthened. You're taught. And the manifestation is there's an overflowing component of your life. What do you think is gonna overflow out of Paul's life when he's bumped into? It would be Jesus' life overflowing because all those other things are a part. There's an overflowing of what Christ has done in him. So here's a picture from 1945. I wanna see if you recognize a face in this picture or not. 1945 was an amazing draft class, not for the NFL, not for the NBA, for the role of the traveling evangelist. There's the, some draft picks. You recognize one of those faces? So you got Chuck Templeton, Braun Clifford, and on the right with his left hand up, Billy Graham. 1945, the rookie year. There was a scene where they would head out and there's kind of the crowds that would gather. Chuck Templeton, he's the bow tie there in the middle. Here's what it said of Chuck Templeton. He ministered for Youth for Christ. One seminary president said when he heard Templeton preach, he said, quote, the most gifted and talented young man in America today for preaching, end quote. There was an article written in 1946 about, quote, the best use men of God in our country at that time, how God's using these men above everyone else. The article was completely centered around Chuck Templeton. It didn't even mention Billy Graham, 1946. They called Chuck Templeton the Babe Ruth of evangelism. Because they said when he stepped up to the pulpit, he just hit home run after home run after home run. Braun Clifford, far left, Braun Clifford. They said people used to line up 10 and 12 deep outside the doors of the auditoriums where he would speak just to catch a glimpse of whatever he was speaking on. He went to Baylor University, to the chapel at Baylor. Now, those of you college students, chapel and college especially when it's assigned, there's a certain degree, right, of, you know, forced interest or not at times. <laughs> so here, Braun Clifford's coming to chapel. The president of Baylor University told all the administration and all the professors, shut off the school bells. 
we're going to give Bron Clifford as long as he wants to have. Which, by the way, this never happened to me. Never in all the places I've been. No one's ever said, Simpson, shut off all the phones and alarms. Let the pot roast burn. You can have as long as you want to have. Never. But for Bron Clifford, that's what they did at Baylor University. The room was packed, not an empty seat. And here's what was said about that experience. They said Bron Clifford held the Baylor University student body and faculty, quote, on the edge of their seat for two hours and 15 minutes on the topic, Christ and the Philosopher's Stone. Bron Clifford, 1945. Stay with me now. 1950, just five years after that crew got started, 1950, Chuck Templeton decided he no longer believed in the claims of Christ in an orthodox sense. He decided the Bible wasn't quite as inspired as he thought it once was. So he thought he needed to bow out and find something else to do with his life because he wasn't quite sure about Jesus and he wasn't quite sure about the scriptures. So he took up a career, radio, television, newsprint. He eventually wrote a book. Here's the title of the book. Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. And he died of Alzheimer's in 2001. Braun Clifford, 1954, just nine years after that start. Nine years after the Baylor University Chapel experience, he lost his family, his ministry, his health, and his life. Alcohol and money were his downfall. He left his wife and two Down syndrome children. He went missing for a period of time, and at the age of 35, they found him on the outskirts of a rundown motel in Amarillo, Texas, dead, cirrhosis of the liver. He drank himself to death. And we all know over this past month, because I've been talking about it and you've been maybe looking at the newscast too, Billy Graham, just over the past month, crosses the finish line at 99 for almost seven decades of his life. Do you know what Billy did? Billy gave gratitude that he got to that starting gate. But what did Billy do that Chuck and Braun struggled with? One of the three decided to what? Perry Pateo, gonna stay with him. I'm gonna walk out. You think Billy's life was that much easier? If you watch the biography, I commend to you the one-hour biography that was on Fox a couple weeks ago. Get your hands on that. Look at it. We sat as a family and watched it. His life was not easy, but what was different? Christ was his life. It was about Christ. It was about the cross. He never wavered from that. It was about being built up and rooted and strengthened and his mind renewed in the scriptures. Remember the story of towards the end of his life, he had the scriptures printed with fonts so big because he couldn't read the large print Bibles anymore. So he said to his friends, print off bigger copies. I gotta get in God's word. Do you see that? At 99. And here's a picture of the casket that Billy Graham was buried in. Have you read the story on the casket? It was built by the inmates of the Louisiana State Penitentiary, Angola. Some of the hardest of the hard in the inmate population. And one inmate in particular had a lot of craftsmanship on it. A convicted murderer named Grasshopper. He did a lot of the handiwork. 
and he wanted that cross really specially made because Billy made it clear. When they lay me in that casket, you lay me under the cross. Church, I can't think of a better picture of Perry Perteo than that. Are you kidding me? Billy said, the only explanation for my one and only life is that image right there. And how appropriate that a bunch of prisoners would assemble the casket. That's what Billy wanted, by the way. Ruth, same thing. Ruth's casket, Billy's casket, both built by prisoners, Angola prison. Because of the ministry they had to those who mostly have been forgotten and overlooked. And the documentary shows Billy going to the isolation chambers of that. And there was a little sliding door where they'd slide the food into that. And Billy would get down on his hands and knees and he would speak through that little sliding door. And you'd hear him say, Christ is your life. Christ is your life. The cross, forgiveness, you can come to Jesus. They showed Billy visiting military when he was out in the camps with military and the soldiers were so injured, they were laying on their face because their injuries were they couldn't lay on their back. So the only way Billy could have eye contact with them is he got on the ground and he crawled underneath them and he saw face to face. And he'd lay on the ground and he'd speak to these soldiers like this. He'd say, Christ is your life, Christ is your hope. There's grace for you. And they said the tears of the soldiers would fall all upon Billy's face and his chest laying there. Church, that's what it means to stay with him, to run it, to continue, to not give up. That's what it means to be rooted and built up and strengthened and renewed and taught and overflowing. Are you kidding me? The overflowing life that's left. So, hallelujah if you got to the starting gate. And in just a moment, I'm going to get you, maybe, you're, maybe today's your starting gate. And that could happen today. But if you've got to the starting gate, here's the challenge. We can't settle for that. Crowns aren't given at the starting gate. Crowns come at the end. Billy and Ruth got their crowns at the end of the run. And can you imagine what our world would be like if we had more of that kind of trajectory in our running out of this race of faith? The ripple effect of hope that would be spread. Worship team, why don't you come on up? Let's pray together. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads and just want to give an opportunity, recognizing every Sunday we gather, there may be someone here, maybe several here, and you've known for a long time, maybe you've known about Jesus, you've known about the cross, you've known about this Christ's life, but it hasn't gotten personal. And today you can come to the starting gate and all you have to do is do what I did November 1985, just simply Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead and just say, Jesus, save me and you'll be saved. Forgive me, save me. You just call out right from where you are, Jesus, save me. And you come to the starting gate and you rejoice in that. And we rejoice with you in that. And then for others in the room who remember that moment, or maybe this morning it's refreshed to remember that moment. Now would you give us, Lord, Would you give us the gift to stay with you, to continue, to walk it out? Not just year after year, but decade after decade. That we'd run this race of faith with the help and power of the Holy Spirit. Would you help us be a congregation that's rooted in you and strengthened in you and built up in you and renew our minds, Lord, 
and help us live overflowing lives that we'd spill out on a world desperately searching for hope. May we disperse that hope that we found in Jesus. We love you in Christ's name.